Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Today what I actually want to do is perhaps validate some of the emotions and the thoughts that you're feeling and going through and having uh, and actually say, okay, they're there, they're real, they're okay. It's a matter of what you do with them. It's not that we just shove them down and ignore them. It's that we acknowledge them, we validate them. We don't camp there, but we move on from them. So would you pray with me this morning as we head into that? Heavenly Father, Lord, you, uh, you know every single person that's tuned in and is going to tune in across the day and across the week. And you are intimately acquainted with their situation. You know their thoughts even before they think them. You know their words even before they say them. And so, Lord, you are able to comfort them and to give them peace in the midst of everything that they're going through right now. And Lord, I pray that your words would be just made manifest this morning, that my words would be forgotten, your words would ring true, and that your name would be made famous here in this place this morning and in people's homes, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I was thinking about uh, suffering and, and thinking about the causes of suffering or the symptoms of suffering. There's kind of the causes and the symptoms, and sometimes it's hard to know which comes first, the chicken or the egg. But I was thinking about this time that we're in and how often a lot of us are feeling like a heavy heart. We had to dash up to Toowoomba on Wednesday. We weren't sure about the borders closing and how that would impact um, medical procedures. And so our doctor, Albie, he, he um, changed our our appointment time for us and Daz and I raced up and did a day trip again to Toowoomba and I got a couple of melanomas out and, and we're on our way back and it was just a scene that I have never personally seen before in our nation where they were getting ready to close the borders. There were um, barricades and, and police sitting there on the border and, and cars pulled up and oh, it was just like, Daz, can you believe this? This just seems so surreal. And, and Daz, in his temperament, Everything's like a challenge. Everything's like a, like it doesn't kind of sit in heavy in his heart or his mind. He's like, yeah, and what could happen next is this. And what could happen next is this. And then maybe this will happen. I'm sure he just stopped short of a zombie apocalypse. But I, I was like, with every new thing that he mentioned, my heart just started to get heavier and heavier. My shoulders began to rise. And, and I've actually felt pretty at peace. But with this roll-on effect of every new thing coming, it was like, no, no, you've got to let me have time to process that thing before I can address that thing. And then there's this other thing coming. Maybe that's how you feel this morning. And, and as we've talked about with Jesus marching towards the cross in the last few weeks of his life, I believe that there are things that are indicative of a heavy heart in the way that he had conversations. You know, he talked about, he, he addressed the status quo. He, he, in, in all the Gospels, shortly before he died, he, he talks to the status quo, to the hypocritical leaders of the day and, and this hypo, hypocrisy that's flowing down to the people from the leadership. And he's saying, it's almost like he's saying, how did we get here? Like, this is not good, this is not okay, and it's like he's got this heavy heart around the status quo that's going on. And then um, what happens, he also talks about the end of the age, and he's talking about people who thought that they were ready and they aren't. And he's talking about people who thought that they were good and diligent custodians of everything that they've been blessed with, but they'll find that they weren't. And he's talking about people who think that they're in, but because of the way that they've treated the most vulnerable and the weakest among us, actually they're not in. And it's not like Jesus is there going, you know what? There's all these people that think they're in and they're not. No, no, Jesus loves everybody. So anybody who is um, deluded or, or, or confused around those things, that weighs heavily on his heart. 
And then he goes to a house of someone and, and a woman makes this beautiful sacrificial offering of pouring perfume onto his feet. And, and he, he's touched by it because he says, you know, she's preparing me for, for my burial. She, it's like she knows that, uh, what's going to happen. And, but, but everyone gets offended at this exorbitant display of generosity that they see and they think it's gone too far. And, and so he's confronted again with the fact that the people closest to him just don't get it. He's about to entrust the church to them in, in a little over a week and, and they still don't get it. And that exorbitant display of generosity is Judas's last straw, and he heads to the high priest and says, yep, what will you give me to betray Jesus? And that must have been hard because Jesus had been with him a long time. But even if that was hard and a little bit hard, he, he was able to release him and, and see the full purpose and says to him across the meal, what you're about to do, go and do quickly. But then he has to address Peter who says after this revelation that someone will betray Jesus, Peter says, Jesus, I'll never betray you. And Jesus has to look at one of his best friends in the eye and say, I tell you, before the cock crows tonight, you're going to deny me three times. That is a heavy heart. A heavy heart. Exhaustion. I, I, I think that many of us here today, maybe with a heavy heart, Maybe, and I know that some of you have lost your jobs this week and we are praying for you, we are believing for you. But there's a level of exhaustion that comes with that heavy heart. And I believe that some of us are reacting in ways that we don't usually react. We're snappy with the people that are nearest and dearest to us, and not because all of a sudden we've turned into jerks, but because we're actually mentally exhausted. Science tells us that our brains cling on to negative thoughts like Velcro and let positive ones go like Teflon. And there is negative thoughts coming at us and at us. And, and so our brain is grappling with that and we're trying to work out contingency plans and what's next and how we deal with that. It is like a, a, a tumult of negativity coming into our lives and mentally we're exhausted. Physically, you might be exhausted as well. It, it, that mental exhaustion plays into physicality as well. And we read about Jesus in the garden and how he's there and he is just exhausted. He suffers a condition known as hematidrosis where the capillaries between the blood vessels and the sweat glands actually rupture and blood flows into the sweat glands and, and then what comes out is, is sweat drops of blood as is written in Luke chapter 22 and verse 44. It says, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground, being in anguish. You see, this condition, hematidrosis, occurs in intense uh, physical and emotional stress. Well, we know that Jesus hasn't yet been through his time of physical stress. So we can only imagine his emotions and how they're feeling in this moment. He is in anguish, the Bible says. And then obviously we know, even from that base of, of mental and emotional exhaustion, then he in, endures intense physical pain. He's beaten and flogged, and, and, and we don't know what else. Uh, if you read Roman soldier history, you can imagine what else. He is, has intense physical pain inflicted upon him from a basis of already being mentally and emotionally exhausted. And there we see the Roman soldiers... Um, taking out their law, grabbing Simon the Cyrene to carry Jesus' cross because Jesus is incapable of carrying it another step further. Mental and physical exhaustion. Exhaustion is a symptom or a cause of suffering. 
And then we have loneliness. And, and I'm not just talking about loneliness like me, like we're, all the huggers that are suffering in the world right now, like being unable, like just looking at people like longingly, I want to hug you, but I can't. And, and, you know, Daz is copying the brunt of it. Like he comes home, he gets a hug. He comes into the kitchen, he gets a hug. I, I, I walk into the lounge room, he gets a hug. He's like, eh. um, And so regardless, like I'm not talking about that kind of loneliness. I'm talking about the kind of loneliness of I feel completely and utterly alone and I don't know if I can make it in this feeling of completely alone and it doesn't matter how many people we have around us to feel that kind of loneliness. And again, Jesus, and if you've ever heard me preach even once, you've probably heard this because this, this picture so arrests my attention and engages my imagination because I, I just feel it on, my, on the inside of me. Where, where Jesus, he ministered to the multitude he, he preached to the crowds. He empowered the 70. He discipled the 12, but he confided in the three. He had three closest to him that he brought on the journey with him and took them on amazing experiences like the Mount of Transfiguration that were there with him. And then he allows them to see his vulnerability in the garden. He takes the three with him and he says this. In Mark 14, 33 and 40, 34, he says, he says, he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. His three best friends, he takes them with him and says, oh man, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling this. I need you to stay awake with me, please. And he comes back and they're asleep and he wakes them up. And he says, I need you right now. And he goes and falls face down again and says, God, please me reprieve from everything that's about to happen and he goes back and they're asleep again he doesn't even bother waking though he just goes back and and talks to his father loneliness and then he gets to the cross as we know and he cries out those words Eli Eli lama sabachthani my God why have you forsaken me the intense loneliness that our savior felt he understands loneliness and then finally, despair. A heavy heart, exhaustion, loneliness, and despair. Despair is defined as a complete absence of hope. And what I've found in this current situation is people are great with hope at the start. And then more bad news comes and more restrictions come and their hope just wanes a little. And then more bad news comes and more restrictions come and hope just wanes a little bit more. And we do not want to get to the place of despair where there is a complete absence of hope. I'm so grateful for the book of Job in our Bibles. If you've got a Bible like me, you've got the color-coded books of the Bible in the front of your Bible. And it says here that you know, you've got the law books, you've got the history books, you've got the prophets, you've got the minor prophets. And here is like the poetry and wisdom section, which is where we find Job. And in the book of Job, it's like we bear witness to somebody's suffering and by it, God bears witness to ours. And I love that he would put that book in the Bible. But Job has this... Uh, this thing happened, first of all, the Chaldeans attack and, and they um, steal all the oxen and the donkeys and they kill all the servants and one messenger survives and goes and tells Job and he's like, what? And before he barely even finishes talking, another servant runs in and says, all the sheep and all the servants looking after the sheep were struck by lightning and he barely finishes before another servant runs in and, and says, Job, Job, the, the, the Sabaeans attacked, they took all the camels and put all the servants to the sword and I'm the only survivor. He barely finishes is talking before another servant runs in and says, Job, you know how all your family were gathered? All your other sons and daughters were gathered at the oldest brother's house partying. A tornado was hit the house. 
and they're all dead. And I'm the only one that survived. And at that, Job tore his clothes. And then he breaks out in sores from the soles of his feet to the tip of his head. And he goes outside and sits in the remnant of a fire. And he breaks a pot and he just begins to scrape his body to get some relief from the pain that he's feeling. It's this book of despair and he rails against God. He rails against God. I believe that this morning we don't need to go to a place of despair. I believe that we're able actually to move on and get up like Jesus did out of the garden, having known what was coming and, and, and it was only going to get worse from there, but get up resolute with the resolve that, hey, I can keep going. And to look at how we're going to do that, we're going to go to Romans chapter 8, verse 18 this morning. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. And it says this, Paul talking, he says that I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What kind of sufferings is Paul talking about? Well, he says that they're perplexed, that they're persecuted, that they're hard-pressed on every side, that they're struck down in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says that he's been beaten, flogged, lashed, that he's been, had rocks thrown at him to kill him, he's had death threats, that he's been cold, shipwrecked, naked, hungry, thirsty, that, that, that all this has happened to him, that he's been in danger from rivers, from bandits, from his countrymen, from other countrymen, that, that they're all coming at him. He says that's the kind of suffering that he's been through. And then if we were to compare our suffering with his suffering, I don't know where you would rate it, and I don't know how you would rate that against the early Christian sufferings where they were thrown into the arena, men, women, children, to be torn limb from limb by lions for the sport of the onlookers. I don't know how you would compare your present suffering to that. I don't know how you would compare your suffering to the people that the emperor at the time would impale people on poles, dip them in tar, set them alight, and stick them in his front yard for his good pleasure. I don't know how you would compare your present suffering to that, but I want to tell you it doesn't matter. Because suffering is real. And however you're feeling is how you're feeling. And the thing is that we can go, well, there's someone worse, but what happens if our situation gets worse? And we go, oh, I'll find someone worse, but what happens if our situation gets worse? Well, Paul says here, he says, I don't think our sufferings are worth comparing. He doesn't compare suffering with suffering. He says they're not worth comparing with the glory that we will be revealed in us. He says, I'm not going to rate suffering. I'm just going to say that there's a glory that's going to be revealed in us that far outweighs any present suffering. And it's not talking about the glory out there somewhere, someday. It's talking about the glory that's going to be revealed in us at this present time. There's a glory being revealed in us. Verse 19, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. There's this leaning in. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. What does that mean? Well, uh, creation is subjected to humanity. We know that. There would be no climate change debate if that were not the case. We, are, we have had an impact on our environment. And, and the biggest impact that we had on our environment was deciding not to go God's way. And as we were plunged away from God, creation was also plunged into decay. And as we are liberated from that bondage, so there is so much more riding on us being liberated in that all of creation is on its way to being liberated as well. That actually there's this communal liberation, this leaning in of creation. 
Uh, I, I love this. Romans 8.22 says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, first fruits of the Spirit, don't worry, um, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. You know, it's like, it's like the earth is this tired old house that is groaning and creaking and in need of some love and some care. And don't worry, I'm not going to start singing good night, Bunya Blue Gum, and good night, Blinky Bill, and beautiful little Nutsy. Wait, I just did. What about, we are the world, we are the children. Oh, I want to do you a favour. If you're bored today, which you were bound to be at some point, I, I, I Google <laughs> the New Zealand collaboration, Flight of the Concords, New Zealand artists, feel inside and stuff like that about the sick children of New Zealand. Just you're welcome. I just want to say you're welcome. And, um, but back to the scriptures, um, we have an impact on our environment. And, and it is groaning and it is creaking. But John Calvin said this. He said that they are not death pangs but they are birth pangs. The groaning is not a groan of heading into death. The groan is a groan because there is something new and something whole on the way. There is a fuller picture that is being shown. C.S. Lewis said this, if I find in myself a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, I can only assume that there's a different world that's coming. I paraphrase that. That actually there's something fuller and something greater to lean into, to lean into, to look forward to. One commentator said this, what we have right now is real, but it is not whole. It is not whole. And so in hope, it says we are saved. It doesn't say by hope we are saved. No, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But, but there's a hope that comes with our salvation. We are saved and we hope and long for what is yet to be. It says we wait patiently for that. And a better word would not be so much patiently, but perseveringly. Or as my dear friend Margaret says, we bash on. We bash on. Romans 8, 26. Let's keep going. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. There's this intercession going on. And if you, if you feel like, well, I don't know how to pray. How am I going to get involved with prayer and fasting? I don't know how to pray. I pray with someone and every time they're binding the devil and I come out of that prayer meeting wondering if I'm even saved and, and I compare myself to, don't compare, it's not wise, but I compare myself to their prayer and I feel like I can't pray at all. This is your new favorite verse because the Apostle Paul said, we don't know how to pray. We don't know what we should pray for. Have you felt like that even in the midst of this current situation? Should I be praying for healing? Should I be praying for the stop of the, the whole situation? Should I be praying that God's word would go out in the midst of it? And if I pray that, should I pray that it keeps going so that God's word can... I don't How should I be praying? Well, the scholar E.O. Obeng said that even any utterance that we make that the Spirit is able to make sense of and intervene with that meaning to God... So it's not so much the words that are coming out of our mouth, but our hearts to God praying and asking for his intervention. Don't you love that? And here's the third time that this word groan is mentioned. It's, it's creation groaning. It is uh, ourselves, our bodies groaning, and, and it's the Holy Spirit groaning as well. But they're not death pangs, they're birth pangs because there's something greater that is coming. There is a better picture coming. There is a more full and more whole and even more real that not only is coming, but that we are ushering in right now. 
that we're ushering in right now. This, this groan suggests the fragility of our world. And, and as we were driving back from Toowoomba and seeing the borders being closed and seeing shops closed and, and knowing that people were sick, it's like this world is so fragile. But when you know that, that, that actually God has it all in control, the fragility fades away and we're able to trust in him, especially when we read the next verse. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When we can know this verse in our Noah, then we, we look at the future differently. We look going, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen here? And even in that, I know that God will work good out of it. It must like, does God really love me? Though, am I one of those who are loved? Yes. God loved the world that he sent his only son. You are deeply loved this morning. You might say, well, I, am I called according to his purpose? And I would say, go and read 40 Days of Purpose again. Maybe go back to all the podcasts that we've done over the last six weeks and listen to those again to know that, yes, you are called according to his purpose. You are loved, you are called. So God is working all things together for your good. Verse 29 to 30, it says, For those whom God knew, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Lots of big words there. I know that 85% of you don't even care about them, but I'm just going to just remind you, I'm going to work backwards and say that those he glorified, he glorifies the ones he justified, he justifies the ones he called, he calls the ones he predestined, and he predestines the ones that he foreknew. Foreknew what? He foreknew the ones who would choose him, and so then he predestined them. So that's simply to say, all those big words, is that once you have chosen Jesus, he is all in committed to you. He's not like, well, good luck, all the best for your future life as a Christian. I'm going to test you at the end and pat you on the tush and send you out to play the game. No, he is all in committed. He is, he is glorifying. He is justifying. He is calling. He is he's doing it all. He's doing it all. And, uh, and then verse 31 it says, no, we just read that. Yes, no, we didn't. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He is all in. This is a comprehensive plan to see you make it to the end. Verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So when you get accusation come against you, you can say, oh, I know. Yeah, I'm guilty. Guilty. That's, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm guilty. But I've got a defense. And he's in the ear of the judge and they're sorting all that out. So you're going to have to talk to them. Please do not speak to me without my attorney present. Our attorney is right there defending on our behalf. And then verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall coronavirus, shall social distancing, shall self-isolation separate us from the love of Christ? No, it shan't. The answer is nothing. Verse 36, 
As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You might say, Bron, what if we die? It's real, right? Then I say that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, this is the message of the gospel, that you have just conquered one of our biggest enemies, death. As the Bible says, death, where is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Conquered. We are more than conquerors. So we're going to read this last two verses. But I want to encourage you that this morning you can go from a heavy heart to having hope. Hope can rise. Hope is an anchor for our soul. Hope in Jesus Christ is the anchor for our soul. You can go from exhaustion to expectation. Expectation that there's a better day coming. And that, in fact, we're ushering in that day even now as we walk out the commands of God and love others, as we love Him and love others, but that we're ushering that in. That you can go from loneliness to knowing that there is a league. It's like the Justice League. There is this league around you, creation bearing witness, your body bearing witness, the spirit bearing witness, Christ interceding on your behalf, all coming in like this league and going, no, you're not alone. And that will ward off despair because hope will rise. There will not be a complete absence of hope. Hope will rise and despair will turn into dreaming again because we come out the other side of this. So I want us to read these last two verses together. You're like, we're Australian, Bron. Stop asking us to do things. Do it. Romans 8. <laughs> Some of you just flicked off the TV. <laughs> Romans 8, chapter, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 38 to 39. Come on, we can do this. Let's read this together. Let's read this with some conviction in our hearts. Let's read this knowing that this is the Word of God. And let's be as resolute as Paul is in these moments. Let's read this together. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I hope you read that. And I hope that if you didn't, you'll go and look up Romans 8, 38 to 39, that you will write that out, that you'll put that on the sun visor of your car, that you'll put that on the back of your toilet door, that you'll put that on your vanity mirror, and you would know that nothing is going to be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.